Welcome to the Recruitment Marketing Rebelcast. My name is Elin Bailey, and alongside me on this journey into the talent acquisition and recruitment marketing universe is my friend and favorite partner in crime, Tracy Parsons. We've been getting together and talking and debating the world of TA for what seems like forever. And after a few too many cocktails, we thought, what the heck, let's hit record. And that, my friends, is how we ended up here, sharing our thoughts with you in hopes you'll find it equal parts fun, interesting, and a teeny bit inspiring. We don't sugarcoat the issues, we address them head on. So let's get this party started. Hello, Tracy Parsons. Hello, Lynn. How are you this morning? You know what? I am chipper and cheerful. I will. uh, uh, Yeah, exactly. After this podcast, I am getting in the car. I'm driving downtown and I'm closing on the house. After all of my um, ranting and raving on the podcast about trying to find a house and actually get somebody to accept an offer, it's done. I'm getting ready to sign it, make it done. All good. You're so fancy. So fancy. (laughs) Yeah. Now I have to like put everything in boxes. Now I'm going to start ranting about the challenges. Oh, yes. That's okay. Oh, yes. There's that. But I'm going to, I'm going to, as, as someone who appreciates outsourcing of personal activities as much as I do, there are totally people who will do that for you. I think I totally got to use those people. I think I just need to accept the fact that there are just some things I'm just not willing to put energy towards. Yeah, no. Yeah. Do you find, do you find that we've all been in our houses for so long, right? Because with COVID stuff, et cetera, and we've all been um, at home in our houses for so long, you would think it would make me more, I don't know, like all those like, little projects that, you know, you say you would, you need a time to do. Like for me, it's like, you know, the scrapbooks, like, you know, crafty people do those things. I haven't done it, but I've thought about it. Or like, you know, organizing closets or doing all these things. You would think you'd have, I'd have all this extra time to do those things. I probably do have the extra time now because I'm not leaving the house as much, but I have absolutely no will or desire to do it. It is really (laughs) out of balance. I don't know if anybody (laughs) else is experiencing that, but (laughs) I have fits and starts of it. I have fits and starts of it. I, but we like are, we've been working as, you know, a couple from home for 12 years, probably. So this is like, we've set our home up to be a little bit of a carnival. (laughs) So you can have fun at home, at our home. There's fun to be had. There's fun to be had. There's fun Uh, to be had. (laughs) You get a little bored, you can play pinball. Cool. You can play Pac-Man. Got it. Like on a stand-up arcade machine. Like we, it's like a little carnival around here. So I haven't gotten sick of my house yet, which is shocking, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of a homebody anyway. I oh. just, you know, out there's there's people out there. I, I agree with yeah. you 100%. Isn't that so funny? Because, you know, most people, I, I run into this all the time. People think that I'm an extrovert by nature, but I'm really not. I'm very much a homebody. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I get that all the time. Like whenever yeah. I'm playing like uh, two realsies and a whopper, my whopper is always that I'm an introvert and everybody thinks that that's not the, that's the whatever. Like they, they think that that's not true. Um, and you're like, no, no, very true. No, really. <laughs> I, I just play an extrovert on TV. But, you know, I see a lot of people like us who do, who are like that, who are, yeah. I'm good. Like I am good. Put me in a room with a hundred people, no problem. As long as I, like, I, I have a place to talk and to do my thing, put me in a room with like three people and I'm horrible. I am completely different persona. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a social butterfly. I'm not going to cocktail parties as much as I would love it to be my thing. Not my thing. Small chat, so chatter. 
It's interesting. I don't, it's not the volume of people. It's the duration. Oh, they me. drain all your energy, no? Yeah. yeah. So like conferences, I'm good in, in spurts, like in, in sprints, right? So like I can go do the conference floor and a session and then I need to go lay down. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah. I have to have, I'm, I have learned, I have to like plan out my, when I'm going to escape moment so that I can like know that I'm going to have a moment to go be quiet someplace by myself. Just, yes. Because I can't, otherwise I can't recharge. Yeah. So thinking about these, these different, so we all have these different types of experiences, right? How we experience yes. the world around us and what's happening. I know we've talked a little bit, not a little bit, probably quite a bit um, on the podcast in the last few episodes um, with, as, with the COVID situation and, and how brands and how employer brands are dealing with it and thinking about it. Um, and I ran across this article last week that I sent you. I was like, oh, we have to talk about this. And you're like, oh. but it's from one of my, it's, it's, it's actually, it's not from an employer brand perspective. This is actually from a larger marketing perspective and, and brand perspective, which I think is interesting for us to kind of juxtaposition against. But also it's from one of my um, kind of favorite gurus out there in the experience design place, Brian Solis. And so this article is in Forbes and I'll, I'll post it up there for everybody. But he's talking about not just the, the change and in, in disruption that COVID-19 has created for brands, but also how marketing organizations need to rethink their customer experiences. And he, can, he specifically calls it empathetic customer experiences. There's one quote in there that I absolutely loved. This is my like go-to quote. He said, this isn't a time to upset anyone. It's a time to be a light in the lives of consumers, to find ways to add value or remove friction, especially when customers feel overwhelmed and anxious by the impact of the pandemic in their lives. I call these ignite moments. It's an opportunity to humanize and aliven touch points, to touch the customer in a novel and a refreshing way that creates memorable experiences. And I thought, gosh, you know, all this, we've been, we've been dancing around this idea, but I feel like that summed it up so perfectly for me. And I it even had the word uh, reducing friction in there for you. I thought she's going to love that. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things. One, how dare you think that I do not love your suggestions for content for the podcast? <laughs> First of all, no, you did not get a meh from me when you sent this to me. Okay. Uh-uh. False. Okay. You, you're reading into things. So everybody listening, Alin has the best ideas. And when she sends them to me, there may be a good chance that I'm drowning in something. It could be butter. I don't know. But, <laughs> the, the, or, butter. Or, or, or Pac-Man. I don't know. But so uh, awesome idea. I love this. I love that statement. I love that they're talking about, that he's talking about friction. But I have to tell you this because when, as soon as I clicked on <laughs> the link and you guys, as soon as you click on this link, you're going to read this headline and the headline is perfect, right? Because it's like in an era of COVID-19 disruption, brands must rethink marketing as empathetic customer experiences. And there's a video playing. There's an animated ad. There's ads everywhere. It's so overwhelming. This is subtracting from my experience of enjoying this article about the experience. So there's no disruption happening on this Forbes webpage. It's all about <laughs> advertising and trying to beat me over the face and distract me. And most certainly 
adding my adding to friction. So I just I thought it was the most ironic moment of my week getting an amazing piece of content from Brian Solis, who is clearly the expert and the passionate person in the room about experiences and the experience that I'm getting on the platform that he's written for is so jarring and so confusing and so and so terrible that I was just like this is peak peak irony I just couldn't even believe it like it's it was hard to focus it was such a terrible experience reading this thing about good experiences because money like (laughs) no 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 there's actually and there's an extra piece of this so the actual link that sent me to it just to kind of add the irony here the actual link that sent me to it was a link a a tweet or it was either a tweet or LinkedIn post I don't know remember which one that Brian Solis had put up that was referencing the article he does reference in here, which is around a study that Salesforce did with marketing CMOs talking about how marketing CMOs need to readjust and and change based on Mm -hmm. this new paradigm. And I actually clicked on the article trying to find that information. And it actually Mm -hmm. is buried in the very end of the article in like a hot link. Like you had to know that's what you were looking for. Now the article itself, I'm glad I read the article. The article itself is actually very good. It had other great pieces in it that particularly talked about experience design, which always are relevant to me. And I'm very interested in that. But yes, from a, it wasn't until the very end I got to the, oh, here's the state of marketing report and the five things that they're focused on. Now yes. I can go in and go deeper into that. So yeah, it, it is. Kind yes. Of- and, and it is, it's really funny too, because I would recommend not ever that everybody not only read this Forbes piece um, from Brian, but also take a look at the state of marketing report. Because again, a lot of people ask me what I read as a recruitment marketer. And I was like, I read what they're doing in consumer marketing because we need to apply that too. Take a look at this state of marketing report and see what we can apply to recruitment, to candidate, to talent, to really amplify this, the work that we're trying to do. But it really is, I loved... So I'm also I'm also a little down on the word empathy right now. Like it's so overplayed. And I was part of that too. Like there's a theme, right? That, that I was part of whatever, like... Uh, candidates or consumers, and then eventually I get sick of it. So same with empathy. I'm not saying that empathy is wrong. I'm <laughs> saying that we keep talking about it and not doing it. Why? Well, um, I, I think people don't understand what it is. That's possible. Yeah. It's like a word. It's like a, it's like a, but that's, that's the definition of a buzzword, right? A buzzword yeah. is something that people say because they want to be cool or that I don't, okay, that sounded bad. I don't think that's people's intent, but I think it's a word that gets bantered around and thrown into dialogue and conversation because it is like the cool word of the time, right? And empathy is one of them, but I don't know if people know what empathy even is. I think that that's something that we need to dig in on because a lot of this piece talks about how we need to be in the mindset and understand from their perspective, our candidates or our customers. And really that's what, for me, empathy is all about. It's like, I, I have a, uh, one of my one of my more popular slides and sessions is I have a slide that says be the person you needed when you were a candidate. This is a moment for us to acknowledge that oh my god, I was totally a candidate once and it was terrible. 
It was horrible. And by the way, many of us are back in that that spirit all over again. I don't know if you saw that great article that um, Kobe wrote recently. Um, and then I've seen yes. others out there in, in our yes. field who have been writing about their fresh experiences being back out in the marketplace again. And and having and it's what I love about all of them is like we're all having that aha moment that goes, oh, we've been talking about candidate experience, but it really sucks. So, right? but here's the question, Alin. Like I've been it really thoroughly enjoying these pieces from people that are in our industry that have been impacted saying the same things that I've been telling them that candidates have been experiencing all the time that we choose to do nothing about. So my question is when all of this does shift back into another phase, right? When we do get to the point where we have the people who have been displaced back in jobs that can impact candidate experience, are they going to not only take that with them, but advocate internally so that their leaders understand that you can, this is an unsustainable model? I would hope so. I, I mean, I, w- I would hope so. I think it has to go a step farther than that, though. I think that they not only, the, I think this has actually been part of our problem. I think that we have spent a lot of time advocating or beating the drum about experience that people are just ignoring us at this point because we keep talking about it. We keep talking about humanizing the experience and how horrible it is and what the impact of it is. I think we've got to start walking to the table instead of telling people what's wrong, telling them what it could be. Like we, I think we have to give them a vision, not of what they're currently seeing, but what they could be seeing and how to get there. I will tell you, I do that all the time and it's still not sticking. So there's, there's no? a gap. There's a gap. I can't figure out what the gap is, but there is a gap. I'm painting a very clear picture of what it could be and not only what it could be, but what it could mean from a return on investment. Right. So there's dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. It's not just this beautiful, esoteric, be a great company to the humans (laughs) moment. Like, oh, it's really like, no, you like money? Would you like more money? Would you like to have less uh, waste? Yeah, I like those things. Well, you do these things. Yeah, I don't want to do those things. Yeah, that, that, that sounds that sounds hard. That sounds expensive. That's even you know even if they think the return on investment is going to be high, the initial thought is that sounds expensive. And how many times have you heard this word? That's not scalable. No, because I usually point that point out in in my shit how it scales. So um, I, I again I've gone to this, and I think honestly, yep. I just don't think that our leaders who are buying into this, they just don't see the big long-term benefit. Even though we're talking about how terrible it is, I think that there is something in the leadership soul that's like, yeah, but that's just how it is. We all had to pay our deals. It's like, it's almost like hazing. It's almost like hazing. Well, I mean, I was hazed, so I got hazed. That's where I think that I'm not sure we're going to get there. I hope that we get there. I'm going to continue to push that we get there. But you mentioned something that I I noticed at the end of the article that made me drop an F-bomb. Something to the extent of just be human. Oh, yeah, yeah. Humanize and aliven the touch points. Be human. Okay. No. Shush. No. Here's the thing. Brands are brands. Okay. I'm going to go off on a... I'm going to get on the soapbox. Let me dust it off over here. Step up there. Okay. You guys, brands are brands. This whole concept of trying to make a brand human is crap, okay? It is crap for a variety of reasons. First of all, 
Nobody believes it. A brand is not a human. A human is a human. A brand cannot be a human. That is just a fact. Now, I know how this was born because I was working in marketing consulting at the time. And we really did look at this as an opportunity to connect point A to point B. Point A being, hey, we have this new thing. It's called social media and we need your brand to be on there. And hey, you know what? If your brand's on there, it's all the other humans, you're going to have to get them to pay attention to your stuff. And so in order to get them to pay attention to your stuff, why don't you just be human? This is what happened. Not lying. That was the stretch that we made. And what I've come to find out is that the brands cannot be human. Brands can have a human characteristic or two. And the best of the best when it comes to that style of marketing, Salesforce is a perfect example. Whole Foods is another example. They take a human characteristic of useful to their marketing. So what I I get absolutely, you lose me as soon as you say, just be more human. No, you need to be more useful. You need to be more empathetic. You need to be more, you need to stop selling me shit. You're going on a rant, but I got to tell you, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you, Ms. Parsons. Really? Tell you, yeah, well, here's where I do agree. Yes. Brands, meaning a company itself, this, this entity cannot, cannot be human. It's not going to humanize itself, but you can humanize the experiences that you are generating right? This is not about messaging and copy and imagery. This isn't which brand colors you pick. This isn't my, this is not my um, employer brand, right? That I'm talking about. When we talk about humanizing the, the experiences, what we're talking about is taking what we were just talking about, which is I now think about what it's like as a candidate to receive or to be in, to feel in this way, to feel anxious, to feel concerned, and to purposefully take that sense of what I think that they're feeling based on the data and insights I'm gathering from them and serve them up information because, not because I'm trying to sell them something, but actually changing my motivation so that I'm humanizing my experience for them. I am creating a human moment where we connect at a very different level. To me, that's what empathy is. It's not about making sure you have the right buzzwords in your social media marketing. I agree with you on that, right? But it is about saying, I'm purposely thinking about the journey this candidate is going through and what's going on for them. And I am proactively thinking about how I can create a better experience for them in each of these different touch points that's based on them as human beings, not as pe- as, as as pieces of paper I'm driving through a transaction. To, to me, that's what it means to humanize a brand. I suppose that's fine. I just, I can't get there. I can't get there. And quite frankly, I don't think a lot of other people can get there. I don't think your average consumer can get there. It's just not plausible. It's like that whole thing. Do you remember back when the day when like Vegas went with the Vegases for families? Yes. That's what it feels like to me. Like if you're telling me that Coke and Walmart and HP and Nike and and Starbucks, they're they're humans. They're they're human-like or they're trying to create human-like experiences. It's not plausible for me. It is like Vegas is for families. Because when I I don't, again, I don't, I, I think it's aspirational to talk about humanizing 
brands humanizing things. I, it just feels so inspirational because I don't think the target audience believes that it's true. Like if, if I'm taking a family vacation, I'm not thinking Vegas. Well, maybe I might be because I'm, a <laughs> I'm like, um, really? Crazy yeah, no, but I can't take know. Owen to Vegas. So let's just be honest. No, um, I get it. Yeah. But like when I'm planning a, tri- a, a, a trip, I'm not going to ask Delta Airlines where I think they sh- I should go. I'm not going to ask Hilton where I think they should, that I should stay. I'm going to ask my friends and family. And if I do ask my friends and family on the internet and I do get back from a response from Delta or uh, Hilton or, or uh, Starwood to be like, hey, look at these things that are useful, that are not trying to sell me a plane ticket or a room, that's going to feel nice, right? That's going to feel useful, but I'm not going to seek them out for that. And I think that that's my big disconnect with this. I just don't think the consumer finds it plausible. Um, so let's let's put that, let's put a pin in the whole brands being human thing to talk about this experience because I've derailed us significantly no, it's based okay. on it's, being triggered by that. It's okay. <laughs> I'm, I, you've given me something to reflect and think on and our listeners as well. Can brands be human? I don't know. I have to think about this because because you it really is um, pushing on to me what is so important, this element of creating these, these, these moments. But I, I get where you're going. I, I think so let's take a look here at some of the tactics and and things that the the, the Salesforce report is talking about the um, the state of marketing report and what they think CMOS are, are saying that they're going to be working towards to create a new experience or a new marketing framework for what it looks like. And as we look at these, maybe we come back and say, do, do these things create a feeling that that you are um, being more respected as a, as a candidate if we started to drive these sorts of thoughts or is it, and, and more human or, or is it really just a new play on the same stuff, which it could be. Yeah. One of the things I will say about the Salesforce report, if you go into it, like one of the things that makes me happy about this report, and you're going to love that I'm going to say this, but um, is that they actually asked consumers questions, right? They talked to the audience and you know, again, and my soapbox is still out. We don't talk to the candidates. If you take away one thing from the podcast, we really call me, talk to me because <laughs> you are not talking to your candidates. I guarantee you. And if you are, I want to know about it and I want to know what they're saying and I want to know what you're asking them because that's what I get to do all day. That's why I give a Lynn that yep. every now and then like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, okay. elbow deep in something like that. So, go. so here, now this is going to go directly to what we were just talking about, right? Yeah. And experiences mm-hmm. out of their report. They're talking about the importance of innovation and it being the number one priority, but they have specific data here from customers. They're saying 84% of the customers said that the experience a company provides is as important as its products and services. Totally. I think that's big. I think that kind of goes to my point that this is about the interactions and the touch points and not about the, the, the messaging and the colors. Yeah. I just, right. Um, And I think this, this uh, focus area that they're talking about that, that marketing teams are starting to realize is that you're not going to be able to meet those experience expectations unless you start innovating differently because consumers are tired of the old ways that we approach them. 
they have developed their own workarounds for that. I loved your example that you just said about trying to book a, you know, thinking about your vacation right? You're expecting you're going to get that email or that, you know, that they're going to see, they're going to retarget you because they saw you on a different platform and send you a, this is, this is come, come fly on Delta or whatever, right? Um, You're expecting that and you're already expecting to ignore it to a certain extent. Correct. Right. That has to be (laughs) another way. Exactly. And that's what I think is really interesting about all of this. Like, um, and sometimes Lynn, you and I do this, um, we forget that we're customers, we're consumers. Yeah. Uh-huh. We forget that we're candidates and we have been candidates. And anytime that we do that, anytime that we forget what it feels like to be marketed to, what it feels like to be sold to, the onslaught of email I got after after the lockdown started, like that, that poem was hysterical <laughs> in the Forbes article. Um, there is a poem in the Forbes article. Yes. That was basically written from the first line of every email somebody got post-COVID. It was fantastic. (laughs) Um, It was fantastic. It was grand comedy. It was my kind of thing. But it was illuminating just how many people have collected your email address, how they've ignored you until the world fell apart and their world fell apart. And suddenly, excuse me, can you send me some money? My husband was telling me last night, some of the Airbnb owners... Uh have been sending emails (gasps) to past guests saying, you know, this is a really tough time and you enjoyed staying with us. So do you think maybe you could send me some money? (gasps) That is like classic lack of being authentic. And and not only that, you know what that's like? That actually is a human experience. It is very I think I think they're very very authentic. Yeah, exactly. It's very very authentic. To your college kid you send off to school who doesn't answer any of your phone calls or your texts for like the entire year and suddenly wants to go out and has has used up all their money and sends you that dear mom email like, mom, how are Uh you? I really love you so much. I love you so much. Could you please send a couple hundred dollars just so I can eat? Yeah. So. Right. And it's almost as if that child doesn't remember. That I actually was a college student and yeah. I probably, you know, was pawning things, pawned things to, yeah, yeah. to get, you know, exactly. qu- quarter beer night. Exactly. I don't know. That's what exactly. I, I've, I've heard about people like that. That's not me. Have you, you didn't do that? Of course no. I did that. <laughs> no. The Sunshine Initiative is a labor of love for Tracy. And we hope that you'll go to ParsonsSC.com and check out some of the great people that are there, ready, and looking for their next opportunity. You know, when you feel helpless, you try to help. And that's what the Sunshine Initiative is all about. There's so many talented employer brand, recruitment marketing, candidate experience, and HR tech pros out there that have been impacted by layoffs. And we wanted to shine some sunshine on them in hopes that they can find their new home. Please take a look at this great talent and see if you can help connect them to their right opportunity. Thank you, community. We appreciate it. Hello, my name is Graham Quinn, and I'm a globally experienced professional specializing in brand strategy, employer branding, marketing communications, and content management and development with over four years in the marketing and employer branding space. I'm a brand awareness change agent recognized for delivering high impact growth and increasing reputation in key markets to maintain prestige as a top employer. I believe in helping companies build their brand and communicating their culture, mission, and purpose through authentic and effective storytelling 
while improving diversity, equity, and inclusion within the organization. I'll tell you how I made my money in college. Oh, oh, this sounds dicey. No, it's not even that dicey. Well, it's a little dicey. I I had a, um, because I don't, people who have seen me and and know me, I may not look it, but I am um, exceptionally good at quarters. Oh. Uh But if you play it right and and people are betting on it, then um, I, I come off as not very good and then I can rake in some dough. So what I'm hearing you say is that you're a quarters shark? <laughs> Maybe. Interesting. Maybe I just gave it all away, but I think it's okay. I think now in my late 40s, I can give up that mantle and say it's probably not going to happen anymore. But, you know. Right. But, but in a pinch. In a pinch. In a know. pinch. I could take it out. I, I don't know if I could do it anymore. I had, like, I had some skills. That was <laughs> like, that was the thing. That's my misspent youth right there. Yeah, oh, there you go. I know. So, so, so yeah. So, I, I actually think that is a very authentic message. <laughs> I'm broke now because I overinvested in Airbnbs. Can you send me some money? Like, yeah. but it's not. It's not thoughtful. Yeah. It's not empathetic. <laughs> but it is very. It is very authentic. It is very authentic. I know. So <laughs> the next piece that they talk about outside of being innovative, and for them, they're talking about the increase of video, which we've been talking yes. about a lot, yes. um, the increase of mobile, but not mobile because, oh, hey, people have mobile phones, but how do you use mobile in a new way? I, I think that's an interesting space that consumer marketing is starting to play with. I think they've gotten, like, we're just getting into this, I mean, this text message thing, right? And I think yeah. we're moving on to the next realm and we haven't quite gotten there yet. So we need to figure out what's going on there. Well, one of there, the things I was noticing that um, my, was my new favorite thing mm-hmm. is I, I got an Apple watch for Christmas because I'm obviously very lucky. Yeah. Um, when I go to CVS to mm-hmm. pick something up, I don't have to take my wallet. I can just pay with my watch. Yep. And and why wouldn't I be able to apply with my watch or why wouldn't I, you know what I mean? Like there's right. what, why are we not doing things like this? Right. So I agree with you and I love how people are using mobile to keep you updated. Again, it, it's, it's all, it's hitting on all the touch points, right? If you are creating experience of me, then I think about, cause I just had to cancel a trip because we were dumb and booked something. Um, and then we had to cancel it because it's just not going to work out. But one of my favorite apps is the Delta app. And I'm sorry, this is not, yeah. this whole podcast is not sponsored by Delta. I swear to God, but they it are is my not. favorite. Although it we love not. them. But they love them. You guys yeah. are the best. Thank and if you, you want to sponsor us, I guess we could talk, but yeah. <laughs> just send me some miles. I'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take miles for credit. Got it. Right. So one of the things that I love about the Delta app on my phone is it tells me where my bags are. It tells me what my flight is. Like I love all this data and it keeps me up to date and I can track all my stuff in it. Right. So this is a really, they've created a good experience, not just for shopping, but for actual travel, for doing all the things that you might need to do with an airline. Right. I love that companies are starting to think about how customers need to and want to and emotionally want to connect and interact with their brand in their hands. To me, that is Quint, that is that is the best description I could possibly give of what it means to actually humanize an experience and to be thinking about those touch points and that it's about the interactions you can show up in for your mm-hmm. candidates where they don't it's not that they asked you to be there. It's that you're you're aware enough that you can provide value in this way. 
that's creating an authentic and humanized interaction and connection. Without being creepy. Right. You don't have to be creepy. You do not have to be like, here's the thing I don't like. It's like when you, have you been to the supermarket yet with your, cause I have an iWatch too, right? And, or like Kohl's does this. Kohl's don't do this anymore. I hate it. As I walk in and it shows up on my phone or on my iPad that I've walked in the store and says, aisle five is having a sale. I'm like, I don't, that's, that's creepy. Okay. So you're going to hate this, but in, in 1999, <laughs> uh, let's call it 98. bleeding into 99. Um, I wrote a business plan uh, about that specific execution, right? So if we could, if we could tailor marketing communication messages on devices and keep in mind, we had at best flip phones, marketing communications, sending marketing communications based on proximity and content. Like again, this is 1998, 1999, wrote this business plan, pitched it to a company. They bought it. It failed. And it was just, but every now and then when I see something like that happen, I was like, that's totally my fault. <laughs> oh, it is. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. But it doesn't, you know what you're talking to? This is exactly, this is why innovation is so important. Because right. in 1998, this is an innovative, interesting idea that we need to try and we need to experiment with. And for the consumer, it may yep. feel unique and have like an air of something as a new experience. In 2020, when Uh everybody can do it, and I now have a new sense of how data is utilized, and it just Uh reminds me of the fact that I have no privacy because of the way in which I've experienced the world today, my experience with that same solution is different. This is why if you are still, people are still sitting there today using the same marketing channels and executions that they were using in 1998, and you know who you are if you're doing it. Your consumers are like, they're, they're past yawning. They're annoyed. You do not oh, yeah. understand them. You, do, you have not humanized your experience. You're harming you are the relationship. Right. You're not paying You are not advancing the relationship. You are not. You are not. So how are marketers planning to do this? Humanize the experience, know what consumers want, et cetera. Guess what? They're going to use some AI. 84% of marketers are telling us they're going to use AI. That's up 29% from 2018. What that's telling me is they're using AI in a way we as recruitment marketers need to start wrapping our heads around. They're not using it to match candidates to opportunities or consumers to products. They're using it to analyze all the data they're getting in about candidate or, or consumer interactions and using it to help them understand where they could be personalizing their experience and their engagement. They're using it to understand the voice of their customer through their customer's behaviors and actions through the data trail that's being created. And we have not gotten there yet as a, in the um, recruitment marketing space. We're, we're playing baby steps, right? And if we don't leapfrog over and start thinking about this, we're going to miss big opportunities, I think. Anyway, it's my rant on that one. Yeah, and I one of my concerns about this one, <laughs> I feel like a curmudgeon today. Um, yeah, I know, I'm like, geez. <laughs> I'm so curmudgeon which is funny because I don't feel curmudgeon But one of my one of my concerns about this is I feel like AI is becoming a little bit of a buzzword and I don't know if people know what it means and how to use it. And what right. it, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is one of my concerns that we don't get creepy, that we can be predictive and artificial intelligence is only as intelligent as the program that programmer that program. <laughs> I know it. we haven't figured that. We're not so smart. We haven't figured that. Yeah. Way. So I I'm just, I lead agreement. That's exactly I love, what I'm trying to say. I love artificial intelligence. I think yeah. it's a wonderful development. I'm, I'm excited to watch this kind of grow and change. 
But I, when I when I think about it, getting into the hands of marketers, it makes me a little nervous. Well, and I'm a marketer, so yeah, yeah, no, it, it should make you a little nervous. nervous. Yeah. But but what you're saying is exactly the point. We, yeah. particularly in our immature state of understanding this sort of power and technology, are misunderstanding its usage model. We are so focused on this idea that AI is really just a matching engine or a capability to do. We we talk about the word predictive. It, we're talking about it in ways that we think it can provide us information to make us more insightful about people so we can make decisions about them instead of it being predictive and providing us information that we can then analyze so we can figure out what we're doing to support people differently. We have not flipped the gear on that yet. We're thinking about what we can get out of it, meaning how is it going to make me faster, more efficient, create more volume, all of those sorts of things, instead of using it to say, how can this make me better at understanding who my consumer is so I can better support and meet their needs? That's the difference. Well, and you're bringing up a really big problem point. At no point, that's what we've. Been, that's what I said at the mm-hmm. beginning of our conversation. I love the fact that they were talking to consumers, and and the fact of the matter is, is we don't talk to candidates. No. And so, how are we going to flip this to talk about what they need, right? When we don't even know what they need or care about what they need to date. We clearly don't care about what they need because we're not asking them. Right. But this should bridge the gap for all of those introverts who are afraid to talk to your candidates. If you're using artificial intelligence well and predictive analysis well, it should actually bridge the gap for you. If you're not talking to people, you should be able to see their behaviors and actions and use technology to help you extrapolate from that what could be their motivators and drivers so that you know what to ask them about. So you're not just kind of asking the same old blanket question. It's really helping you frame your picture of who they are. It can, it can mm-hmm. make you much more powerful in this way. Correct. If you're afraid to talk to people, this may get you a first step there. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. You can be the creepy person looking over the fence instead. Weirdos. <laughs> the weirdos. Okay. <laughs> there is the next one, which to me is the power move. Okay. Put your hat on this one. of business-to-business marketers and business-consumer marketers now have account-based marketing as the cornerstone of their strategy. Okay, I think we need to explain account-based marketing. (sighs) Exactly. Marketers use account-based marketing to build multiple highly personalized campaigns that connect with accounts that are most important to them. It also increases the lifetime value of their customer relationships. Boom, drop the mic. Honestly, what they're talking about here is saying they are going beyond just organizing people into pipelines or Mm -hmm. lists or structures in their CRM to understand how they can match them to opportunities or how they can send them one or two mass email campaigns. They are looking at it and saying, I'm going to assign somebody or something, somebody to own this customer population who I have sorted and organized in this way. For us, it's a, it's a pipeline infrastructure, right? And they are going to focus on understanding that customer at a deep level and creating highly personalized campaigns that connect with them for the lifetime of their customer relationship. They're not thinking about their short-term gain, about like, how am I going to get them to buy this one thing? Or how am I going to get them to take this one action? They're thinking about how they can gain value out of that customer relationship for a very long time. We, as recruitment marketers, need to start thinking differently here. 
the value of the contact I capture in my CRM. Yes, it is valuable in that it can help me get towards that conversion of an apply or a hire, right? But they also, as human beings, have other value to me that I can leverage if I understand them and think about how I can leverage them in their relationship. They have friends they can connect me to. They have networks that they can connect me to. I can watch their behavior over time and learn what drives them to make choices and decisions and leverage that insight and information to better market to others who are like them, right? I'm not, if I'm not thinking about account-based marketing, right, which is kind of understanding that account and that population, and I'm only thinking about pipeline management and my ability to kind of drive my numbers through a conversion process, I miss the ability to actually create interactions that are of value to me over the lifetime, like to get real value ROI out of capturing that contact in the first place. So it's interesting because one of the things that I think about account-based marketing and what drives me um, and what's been appealing to me for years about this concept is lifetime customer value, lifetime candidate value, lifetime talent value, right? So, so, and it, it might be uh, somebody that's in your pipeline. It might be somebody that works for you. It might be whatever this talent that you've paid to attract at some point in time, what is their lifetime value to you? And we can't seem to, I I can't seem to get there mentally, um, but it is, it is absolutely on my big solve this thing to do list. Um, and has been for quite some time because if we start understanding the lifetime value of a campus visit, we went to a campus, we met students that are graduating. Those students are going to go out and do amazing things. And we might have captured 100 names at that event and we might have brought in five interns. What about those 95 other uh, people that we met at that event? Yep. What did they do with their career? Where are they five years from now? Are they right for us now? What about 10 years? What about 15 years? What experiences have they gained? So what is the value of having gathered that contact at a campus 15 years from now? And how did we spend time keeping that contact interested and warm to share us out with her friends and her network so that she has additional credibility that she has connections at XYZ company or perceived connections, right? So what is the lifetime value of that specific candidate? I love this whole concept. I, you know what, you're getting me thinking that, you know what, how we get there is we've got to figure out a formula to to be able to create some sort of (laughs) metric around lifetime value. What would you capture? Anyway, the another time, but I, that to me is, is gold. Yes. Yes. For those of you who've been hearing me talk about the Infinity Looping Center, that's the whole premise of it, right? Manage yep. someone for the lifetime of their career or to create lifetime value out of this generative piece that you've created. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the last little way that they think you, we, that, that marketers are talking about going in and starting to humanize their relationships or the tactical effort that they're focused on is looking at a new set of emerging technologies. I think this is big. I think that we are today, particularly in the recruitment marketing space, looking at technology, but the use cases and the models for the technology that we're looking at are based on strategies that are three to five years old, right? Minimum. Minimum. And technology to be of value to us needs to grow with us and needs to meet future use cases 
it needs to push us in new ways to be able to figure out how to engage with people and not just support us in old ways of thinking. And I think this is what they're talking about here when they, when they talk about it. When they say that marketers are at the forefront of this innovation, that 79% of them say they lead their customer experience initiatives across their entire organizations. They are doing it by thinking differently about the use cases for technology. I think there's a couple of key takeaways for everybody out of the, what we've been talking about today. One, get out of your shell and start looking at what's going on in consumer marketing and in other industries and in other spaces and see what we can be learning about what they're talking about because there's a lot of synergies and it could spark you to do something that helps you leapfrog over everybody else who's in our space. Two, candidates are people too. So, we can talk about whether your brand is humanized or you're creating humanized experiences. At the end of the day, treat them like people. Be kind. Be useful. Right? right? Be useful. I love that one. Be useful. And the third piece is innovation can't stop. You have to, just because we're in the middle of this COVID situation, is not the opportunity to take a step back and to sit and wait to see what happens. The brands, the companies, the organizations who are going to thrive at the end of this are going to use this opportunity to understand and to watch how things get disrupted and changed and, and either be a part of that disruption or at least be on the leading edge of figuring out how to adopt it and address it because consumers and candidates are going to be dramatically changed after this. And, you're, mm-hmm. and if you're looking at the old school ways of doing things, you're going to fail on the new end, I think. I agree. And I think one of, the, one of the key conversations here is we have to be studying what our counterparts in recruitment or in, in consumer marketing are doing. Like they're, they're trailblazing in many ways that we, we need to be not just following, but taking as inspiration, right? So if they're doing this, how does that apply to ours? And our audiences are very different. And you have to, if you are going to be useful to your human population of candidates, you have to spend time remembering what it was like to be a candidate and how hopeless it was in every stage of that journey and create little bursts of hope. There's, it's not, you guys, it's not expensive. It's not hard. It's just thinking what it feels like, remembering what it feels like. Right. And changing the paradigm for yourself. Like if you're a recruiter, you literally could change somebody's life by simply responding. Right. Just the act of showing somebody that they're seen and heard can change their entire outlook and change their entire the way they show up in the world. Imagine that, that huge power you Mm -hmm. have. This was a fun one, Miss Parsons. Good conversation, Lynn. It was. Thank you for going through this one with me. I just, there was so much I wanted to dissect in this and I thought there was. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Such a cool conversation to be able to have, Um, which is why I love um, our opportunity. So for those who um, have hopefully noticed, we are in, did you know we are in season two? This is our second year officially. I can't believe it. Right. Blow us away. I can't believe that um, we lasted that long, but I I actually, I can't believe it because we like to talk. So that's not a problem. Hopefully um, people are are noticing that we're, um, we're um, really leaning in to our format of dialogue and conversation and really just being real. We believe that that is um, the way for us to both um, connect with each other, but also connect with our listeners out there. And and hopefully um, you're doing whatever you do while you listen to this podcast and having your own moments of of thought and um, 
thinking about things and, and wanting to interject your thoughts, we would love it if you would actually share it when you want to interject those thoughts. You can tweet us at our Rebelcast or directly to Ms. Parsons at at T. Parsons or myself at Lynn Bailey. We would love to, to engage in a conversation with you. I don't think there's anybody who's ever tried to talk to us that we haven't talked to. Oh, for God's sake, no. <laughs> we, we love you guys. We do. We love you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so reach out to us. And again, got to push the Sunshine Initiative. Oh, please do. Um, it's so if important. You know, if you know anybody that's been impacted by COVID-19 and losing their job in the economic downturn, please, please, please um, have, them, have them connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn or visit my website at parsonssc.com slash sunshine dash initiative. And if you are looking for talent, we've actually, I found out this week that um, four people have accepted awesome. new jobs and they have started. Yes. So that's awesome since this, uh, since this yes. began, I don't know how many weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time we loaded up four more people. So it's, it's, it's kind of this, you know, churn. So if you are looking for talent, it's there. They're amazing. These are great people. I've talked to them. We visit probably bi-weekly, talk about their career, talk about their search. So if anybody's looking for great employer brand recruitment, marketing, candidate experience, HR tech talent, hit up the Sunshine Initiative. So worth it. Um, it's a value to you and a value to them. And again, I think one of the best things you've ever done for people, Aww, Tracy. Thanks. So thank you for doing that one. Thank you all for listening and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recruitment Marketing Rebelcast. Tracy and I feel privileged and blessed to be a part of your day and would love to have you reach out and tell us what's on your mind. You can reach us on Twitter, Adeline Bailey, and or at T. Parsons. Until next time, here's hoping you see a rainbow, have a good belly aching laugh, and find some joy in connecting and growing the world of TA and recruitment marketing. Talk to you soon. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.